Hi, and welcome to the Radius Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're interested in finding out more information about Radius Church, please check us out on our website, radiuschurch.tv. I've been wearing, uh, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but every weekend I've been, I've been wearing the t-shirt or the clothes of one of the churches that we're praying for. So in this series, we're um, uh, highlighting a different church that we have a relationship with, or uh, one so far has been in this community that we've prayed for. Some of them are uh, churches of who I call my pastors that we've prayed for. Uh, this church is one that I have never been to. This is Life Church, and it's pastored by Bobby Davis. Some of you will remember about five weeks ago, I interviewed Tim and Lindsay Olivares, who were moving to Tennessee. Well, this is the church that they're now plugged into and serving in and doing some incredible things. They have a Bible college there that Tim's trying to get involved in as he's trying to answer the call of God on his life. And so I thought, you know, it would be all right if we prayed for a church we don't know yet, right? Because they got our people over there, and we don't want them messed up when they come back. How many know what I'm saying, right? All right. Uh, uh, So we're going to pray for Life Church in Cookville, Tennessee, not too far from Nashville. We're going to pray for them tonight. So let's pray. Father, I've never met Pastor Bobby, but I hear great things, and I pray that you would guide him through this next season of ministry. I pray you would anoint him with wisdom. I pray, Father God, that the people that are within his care, God, you would guide that church and that leadership. Uh, Lord, I just pray for that you would enlarge their territory. And um, I pray your blessings. I'm not sure what their financial needs are coming out of this pandemic, but I pray that you would meet every need. And I pray for this season for Tim and Lindsay uh, and the kids while they're there. It would be a great time of spiritual growth. I ask it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, we are on part number five of a series that we are calling The Seven Churches, and we are really going through the second and third chapter of the book of Revelation and just looking at uh, what Jesus said to those churches. When there's a compliment, I want to know what it is so we can duplicate it. When there's a complaint, I want to know what it is so we can stay away from it. Right, everybody? And the church, again, is not the building. The church is you and I. And that's why this is important to us, because we have to lean into it. Does anybody think the series has been a little like, whoo, yeah, I needed that, a little, little tough? Anybody say, yeah, those are good reminders, all right? For those of you that didn't raise your hand, you're probably not listening good enough. Okay, so, (laughs) just kidding. Uh, So we're on part number five, and it's the Church of Sardis. So uh, the battle that I have when I study these is the the history of them. I really want to get carried away in all the history and all the interesting facts. Um, But my style of preaching, as you probably know, is I I can't spend too much time on the historical part because I'm really interested in the applicable part, the application, because it doesn't do me any good to know history of the Bible or history of the church if I don't know how that applies to me walking better with Jesus, right? And so let me give you a little bit. Sardis was once one of the world's greatest cities of its time. Croesus was the uh, king of that city. And that city was built between two mountains. If you could imagine uh, mountains on the back and, the, and both sides. And the city had this large wall that connected to both mountains. 
and with like a city gate. And so nobody could penetrate that city. Um, and there was the, the, the story is told of a, uh, a Parisian soldier who was, uh, he, he was watching that city and kind of spying, if you would. And he seen one of the soldiers up on the top of the wall drop his helmet. And a little bit later, he seen that soldier at the bottom of that wall getting his helmet. So he knew there had to be some kind of secret passage or secret entrance into the city. And so he gathered the troops and they invaded Sardis because of that. And, uh, and they took over Sardis. And matter of fact, the story is told and historians tell us that uh, when they got to the top of the wall, when they got in the city, what was unusual is there wasn't a single soldier on guard during the nighttime. So they invaded the city, they plundered the city without even a fight. And by the time that John is getting this revelation from Jesus, this has happened two times to the city of Sardis, and that was the demise of the city of Sardis, that no one was on guard. Now with that in mind, when we dive into the Scripture, you're going to see why Jesus said some of the things that He said. Because Sardis serves as a metaphor to us. Because they were asleep. They were supposed to be on guard, but they were sleeping. And because they were sleeping, they lost their prominence. Oh, come on, I'm already preaching and you ain't even amening, right? Because they were sleeping. It serves as a metaphor. Now, in this one, we're going to break the rhythm a little bit. We've started every week with a compliment. But uh, in this one, Jesus gives the introduction of himself and then he dives right into the complaint. Uh-oh, all right? This is one of two churches that don't get a compliment. And he dives right into it. It's like, pull up a chair, let's just get down to business. So, number one is the complaint. Let's read, starting in uh, Revelation chapter number 3. We're moving now to chapter number 3. It says, To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. We've kind of already talked about that back in the church of Ephesus. Um, but I, I do want to pull one little thing out because he's going to get pretty tough with this church. But I love that he introduces himself as the one who holds the seven churches. So no matter what he's upset about, he wants them to be reassured that he's still got them in his hand. Have you ever felt like you've done something that you might have disappointed God? And isn't it reassuring to know, but He still has you in His hand? He doesn't throw you out because we mess up. Come on, anybody, right? Um, if you'll amen every once in a while, even in the heat, I'll preach faster and you'll be eating ice cream sooner, all right? Okay, so um, he says, I know your deeds. This is, the, this is the verse. This is where we're going to camp tonight. He says, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive but you're dead. Oh, you have a reputation that you're alive. You have a lot of church activity. You have a lot of meetings. You have a lot of life groups. You got a lot of stuff you're doing, but you're dead. Whew. I'll tell you what, that's one thing I never want to hear from Jesus about my life or the church that I pastor or the church that I'm a part of. Can I get an amen on that? When I was first getting to know my dad, it's been almost 20 years ago, about, seven, about 18 years ago, uh, I started flying out here, and we'd go riding Harleys together. That was kind of our common bond, and that's the thing that kind of brought us together. And in one of the trips in my first year coming out here back in 2003, 
um, I, I would fly into Seattle and sometimes uh, get a bike uh, in Seattle and then ride up here and I'd get to his house and on one particular weekend he said, hey, I, I want to take you to this place and, and he said, it's a bar and now I don't frequent bars and, 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 and so, you know, that's just not kind of my habit or my routine and so we rode up to this place called the Holy Smokes. You may have heard of it. We rode up to there somewhere in the Sumas Mountains, somewhere right in that area over there, uh, Clear Lake, Air, Silver Lake uh, area. And, and we were sitting there, and he introduced me to a bunch of his friends, and, and they were ordering beers, and there was people over here shooting pool. And, 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 and you know, there was just loud music going on. I've, actually, there was a live band rocking and rolling. And, and, and I was oblivious to all that because I was just thrilled with the fact that I'm sitting here across the table from a dad who I I literally haven't really seen other than one time since I was five years old. And I'm just having a blast. I could have been in the middle of hell. How many know what I'm saying? And I was excited that God was restoring something that the devil had tried to pull apart. And I said, what's the name of this place? He, he said, it's called the Holy Smokes. I said, why is it called the Holy Smokes? And I started looking around. And about the time he answered me, all of a sudden I was having a light bulb moment because up high there was some stained glass windows. And what was now a bar that we were sitting in at one time had been a church. And secretly I was disappointed, although I was thinking, man, this church doesn't even know it, but it's still restoring the hearts of fathers to the hearts of sons, right, everybody? And, and, and I have traveled enough in the world, and I've been to a lot of other countries, and I've, I've been to churches around the world, and I've been to churches in our nation that were once alive and they were thriving, and now they're dead places, they're boarded up places, they're tourist attractions, or they've been remodeled to be something else. The thing that interests me about this is in all of those things, we, we've been in countries where we walked in as tourists on a museum guide to see some of the biggest churches that are now just, just historical landmarks. And we've learned about the great revivals, but somehow along the way they had activity, but they grew dead. And there is nothing worse than a church that looks alive but is really dead, right? And they had to be thriving at one time to get where they were. And I couldn't help but in every situation I wonder, what happened? Was it, was it one of the things that happened in the previous four churches? Was there a spirit of Jezebel that nobody dealt with? Had they left their first love somewhere? Had they become more passionate about the style of church than the God they were worshiping, right? And, and how, I came to this conclusion, I think you'll have to agree, a church doesn't have to be closed down to be dead. Let me say it another way. I know a lot of churches that the sign has God on the name of the sign on the outside, but it doesn't mean that God's on the inside. Right? I think a church is dead when tradition is more important than transformation. Come on, somebody. Help me out here. It's hot up here. Because remember, a few weeks ago I preached, the more God's glory will show up, the more that we are being transformed, the more that His glory shows up. So when we gather together and we allow God to move in our life and transform our life, a church can't die like that. A church dies when we think we've arrived. A church dies when we think we're better than the newest person that just come in the door. A church dies when we start worshiping the tradition and we start worshiping a style and we start worshiping a personality. Come on, everybody, right? That's when a church begins to die. I, I was hiking not too long ago. 
Matter of fact, me and, uh, me and my wife, see, now that's what I need, is somebody be excited like that. <laughs> Patty and I were hiking just the other day, and I said, now when we turn this corner, there's this fallen tree. It's a long tree, and we'll know we're almost there. And this tree is like, I, I, in here, I want to say it's as long as this auditorium, but it's a long tree that's on the ground, and it looks perfectly healthy. I mean, the bark and the, the, you know, most trees you see out in the forest somewhere, they got moss growing on them, and there's rot, and there's other trees growing out of the middle of it, and animals living in it. This tree looks perfectly healthy until you bend down and look in the middle. And the middle is almost hollow. And then I, I couldn't figure that out. I've, I've been passing this tree for years, and I was at home watching the show Building Off Grid, and they were felling a bunch of trees so they could build a log cabin. And there was one tree that they chopped down, and the guy said, we can't use that tree because that tree has heart rot. And it looks strong on the outside. Ah, come on, everybody. I, I know some Christians that look strong on the outside. They got the right Bible. They got the right bumper sticker on the car. They got the little fish on the car. Come on, everybody. They got a good Christian T-shirt on. But, but, but we can look alive and have some heart rot going on. Jesus is saying to the church of Sardis, you look strong, you look active. If we pass by your church service on Sunday, it would look alive. But is there any heart rot going on? Because you can't build with the heart rot. They had to reject. They did all that work to get that log to build their log cabin, and they couldn't do it because there was heart rot. Uh, you cannot build when there's heart rot. Hmm. You look like a good Christian. Um, and by the way, you know that's kind of an interesting statement too. I hear people say it a lot. Like, are you a good Christian? I'm not a good Christian. You, I'm a good Christian. I'm a strong Christian. There's no such thing as a good Christian or a bad Christian. There's such thing as an alive Christian or a dead. Christian uh, because Christianity is not sin management I think in so many cases we've reduced American Christianity down to sin management and I'm a Christian because I don't do this and I don't do this and I don't do this list of things and if you struggle with this list of things go to this other denomination and they accept that and you can be a good Christian over there no Christianity is not sin management everybody there's no such thing as a good Christian or a bad Christian you're either alive or you're dead come on now you know that little heart some of it slowed down. Beep. <laughs> we need them. Pow! You know, let's wake back up. Uh, and, and so, a lot of times, when we're alive, I think there ought to be some outward evidence of an inward passion. You can't tell me you love God, but you never want to come be with His bride. You can't tell me you love God and you haven't cracked the Bible open in six months. You can't tell me you're in love with God and you don't want to spend any time with Him. I know, I'm not preaching to anybody here. I'm just talking to all of you heathens watching me online. <laughs> See, when you're passionate about something, it ought to show up somewhere in your life. I was commenting the other day, on a Sunday morning, this place is usually pretty full, and, and we ha we've had a lot of young families here. Uh, too many of them have moved away. But uh, I, I was commenting a, a few weeks ago, there was a bunch of young families over in this area, and there was all kind of little kids. I don't know why they weren't over there with Bonnie, but they wanted to stay in here during the worship time. And we had all these little two-year, my granddaughter was a part of it, and I was as happy grandpappy as could be because they were all up here hopping around, jumping around. They couldn't even sing the words, but they knew it was about Jesus. 
Doesn't the Bible say something about a child will lead them? I want to see some adults get passionate. I want to see some adults get on fire for God. I'm not going to preach this, but I want to listen. See, because when you have a passion, it ought to show up. Here's just some thoughts, all right? Everybody doing all right? All right. I thought if I preach louder, it'll preach the heat right out of the building, all right? Watch this. Give me my list real quick. I'm just going to go through them. You might want to take a picture of these. Because when you're passionate about something, you make it the first priority of your life. Number two, when you're passionate about something, you spend money on it. No amens in the room. Number three, when you're passionate about something, you praise it, you look at it, you brag about it, you talk about it. Number four, when you're passionate about something, you talk about it. Number five, when you're passionate, you want others to know what you're passionate about. Number six, when you're passionate about something, you spend time and lose track of time involved with the thing you're passionate about. Can I keep going? Okay, I'm gonna. Number seven, when you're passionate, you think about it throughout your entire day. Come on, lovebirds, where are you? This is a good time for a husband to look over at his wife and say, yeah, girl, come on now. Huh? When you're passionate about something, number eight, you, you, you spend hours reading and learning about it. Number nine, when you're passionate, there are indicators scattered around your life. It shouldn't be real hard for you to figure out, I love Jesus. It shouldn't be real hard for you to figure out, I love my wife and I love my family. It shouldn't be, there ought to be some indicators in there. When I say, no, I got to get home, I got to see my wife. Yeah, but you live with, I know, but I can't wait to see her again. Right? There ought to be some indicators. Number 10 is when you're passionate, you find ways to fit the activity into your already tight schedule. Enough of this, I'm too busy for church stuff. When you're passionate about the mission of the church, you figure out a way. Come on, everybody, right? So that's, he starts off with the complaint. I'm done with the complaint, everybody. That's it. We're going to point number two. Aren't you happy? I don't know if this is any better. Some of you aren't smiling. I'm telling you. I'm going to preach one of these days, tell everybody smiling, then I'm going to say, I've done it, Jesus. I'm all done, all right? Number two is then he corrects them. He says, look, you look alive, but you're dead. So let me give you some correction. And this is really where I want us to lean into. Because he says some things that are very specific here. And I think they're doable for every single one of us here. It's the correction. And so let's, let's read on a little bit further, starting in verse number two. He says, wake up. So we're going to talk about that. This is the prescription. This is how we correct the course. If you feel like your passion for Jesus at one time was brighter than it is right now, we're not throwing stones. Just because I'm preaching loud doesn't mean I'm throwing stones. But if you feel like, man, my passion, my love for God, my zeal for the mission of God, the church, my, my zeal for Him is not where it at one time was, well, here's the prescription. Hey, Radius Church, just want to interrupt the message here real quick and just let you know about a couple of things. Um, right now, we are kind of in full force for the Radius Outreach Center, and over the past probably month, month plus, we have uh, been collecting shoes and boots. And just in the last couple of weeks, we are now uh, starting a food drive. So if that is something you're interested in participating in, Please go out, buy, and just bring it here. You'll see uh, right out on the cafe table, you'll see boots out there, you'll see 
uh, groceries and food out there and everything. Um, I'll, I'll be providing you a list. You'll be able to see uh, it's kind of specific items that we're looking for. Uh, if it's not something you're actually able to take the time and go out and purchase yourself, uh, but you want to contribute towards it, you can just give right on the webpage, radiuschurch.tv, click the give button, and then make sure to designate on the drop down under outreach. But this is all in preparation for Serve Day on August 7th. So um, guys, it's, it's gonna be awesome this year and just, it's awesome to see the vision starting to take hold and starting to progress and move forward and then just that momentum building. So uh, again, if that's something you're interested in participating in, just wanna make sure that you're aware of that, that, that you can now participate. And so uh, again, uh, serve day is August 7th and we are collecting boots, shoes, and groceries. And that's all I got for you. Let's get back to the message. And here's what he says. He says, wake up. And, um, and then he says, strengthen. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Number three, remember, therefore, what you have received. Come on, remember what you've received. Anybody remember the day you gave your life to Christ? Can anybody, just for 30 seconds, imagine where you'd be right now without him? Anybody? Can anybody remember that? Okay. And then, and then he says, hold fast and repent. So those are the four things I want to walk through real quick. I was preaching one time, so let's do it. Wake up. Number one is wake up. What do we do when our passion isn't what it used to be? Sometimes we have to wake ourselves up. And we have to wake up. I was preaching one time. I was just like 20 years old, and I was in my first church, and I was preaching. And on the front row, we had the old-style church where there was one aisle down the middle and the pews on both sides. Anybody remember pews? Remember that? And, and Stan Brock always sat right there. Remember Stan? And Stan Brock was a mailman. And Stan Brock, he must have been born sleepy. That guy, if he was one of the seven dwarves, he would have been sleepy because he was always sleepy. Every single Sunday, he was on the front row with one of these looks. Have you ever seen it in church? All right. Don't let me see it. Don't, don't you do it. I will call you out. Okay. And so I was preaching, and one time I, I was a little more fiery back then than I am now. I've kind of become subdued. How many are you glad? You know, I do have feelings, everybody, all right? So I was preaching one time, and I said, thank you, Steve. I was preaching, and, and I don't know what it was. We had the big old wooden pulpits. Anybody remember those with the microphone? And I said, it's time to make a stand, and I hit the pulpit. I don't know why. I seen it on Little House on the Prairie, so I did it. I said, it's time to make a stand, and Stan was sleeping, and all he heard was, it's time to stand. And Stan stood up. And the rest of the church, now mind you, there was only about 80 other people in the church, but Stan stood up on the front row. There he was, red as could be, knowing that he has made a mistake. And being the nice guy that I am, I wanted him to stay, save face. And I could see everybody was looking at Stan. He was embarrassed. He didn't know what to do. And I said, it's about time, thank you, Stan, that somebody has stood up. What's the matter with the rest of you guys? And by shame, everybody else started popping up and following Stan. It is time to stand, though. Our son Jake, when he was a little boy, he was like, it was like raising the dead to get him out of bed and ready for school. Did anybody else have a kid like that? How many were that kid? 
I mean, you would peel the covers back and he would be like attached to the covers. He just, he would not wake up. It was like, Lazarus, come forth. And I mean, he just would not wake up. And one morning he could tell that it put us really behind. His mom is scurrying to get things ready and get him off to school and they're going to be late. And she's stressed out because he wouldn't wake up. And I think Jake started feeling bad. And I think that's a good thing. You know what I'm saying, right? He started feeling bad. And I don't know if he had seen this on a movie or one of them good shows we used to watch, like the Three Stooges or something like that. But he had seen somewhere where somebody was trying to wake somebody up and they threw water on him. And he started feeling bad. He said, Mom, if I ever do that again, I'm giving you permission to throw a bucket of water on me to wake me up. And his mom's like, are you serious? Now, you guys think she is this conservative, nice you see her sitting here on the front row in her best on the weekend, amen in me. She has an evil side. And she said, we all do. Who said it? Yeah, we all do. Amen. Preach it, brother. All right. And, and, and so the next morning, sure enough, man, that boy would not wake up. She went in, filled up a pot of water. And he jumped up out of bed. How many know sometimes we need a pot of water? We need a rude awakening, right? I don't know about you, but I'd rather be woke up real gentle. Anybody have those nice little alarm clocks where the sun begins to shine in your bedroom? My daughter has that. And it's just one of these, it looks like the sun is, it's like, bing, time to wake up. How many know that's much better than a bucket of water, right, everybody? Right? But either way, I want God to wake me up, whether it's a bucket of cold water or a nice gentle touch, right, everyone? Because I need to wake up. I wonder if we'll ever look back. Well, let me say it another way. I sometimes look back through Christian history. Have you ever done this and look back on a generation and say, what were they thinking? And it's real easy to look backwards and say, that generation should have woke up. When I see that uh, 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 Christians and when I see that preachers through history, pastors through history own slaves, I want to shout back in history and say, wake up. When during the inquisitions, when I when I see uh, that they were using a sword for evangelism, I want to say, wake up. What were you thinking when I see back through history, them using certain verses and twisting them around to fit things that were weird when we look backwards? It's easy to look back and say, wake up. But hold on. Before we do that, I wonder how much longer we'll live and how many generations will get out in front of us. And they'll look back at our generation and say, what were they thinking? thinking they meet in church and have the best churches in the history of the world but there's homeless people a block from them wake up you have the freedom to go to church and nobody's stopping you but you don't go wake up you're wealthy and you don't give to the mission of jesus wake up Come on, everybody, right? When I was 18 years old, I'd been working for four years, all through my high school years. Uh, starting in the ninth grade, I worked a full-time job at a grocery store and went to school. And uh, so I was working 35 to 40 hours a week and going to high school. And, um, and, and I, had, I didn't know what I was going to do when I graduated, so I'm 18 years old, and a buddy of mine got me a job at the loading docks but I didn't want to let go of my job at the grocery store because I'd become manager there but I wanted a better paying job because I was going to be graduating in a few weeks and I was trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life and so I thought well I'll do both jobs and figure out which one is better 
And so, literally, I, I had a work permit. They gave us work permits. And so, I, I went to school from 8 in the morning. I got out of school at 1, reported to my grocery store job at 2, worked there till 9.30, and drove an hour to Memphis to report to work at the loading docks at 11, worked there till 7, got off there and went to school. I did that for the first week and slept through the weekend. I started into my second. Now, my buddy Stephen was always driving us, so I'd sleep in the car. And, and I got pretty tired around about the 10th day. And, and, and I was sleeping in out. My first class at school was study hall, so I got about a 45-minute nap in there. And then I got about an hour nap in between driving, and I got another hour nap in between driving there and then out. So I got like three, and I'm 18. How many know you can rule the world when you're 18? Come on, just give me another Mountain Dew, everybody, right? Give me them Twinkies and Mountain Dews and let's go. And I remember uh, the night they told me they didn't need me anymore. I was so tired and I was watching this semi-truck back into the loading dock. The next thing I know, I'm in the front seat of my buddy Steven's car because evidently I was so tired that I fell asleep standing up, fell off the dock while I was waiting on the semi-truck. He put me in the car. We were driving home. Now, it was an hour drive home. I woke up in the passenger seat to blue and red lights, or red and blue, I think is the way I should have said it, and they're just shining, and the whole car is filled with red and blue lights, and I can't figure out what's going up. I wake up out of a deep sleep, and I look over, and there's a police officer talking to my friend Stephen, who is our driver, and he says, do you know how far I've been chasing you boys? He thought that Stephen was drunk. He thought we were drunk. We weren't drunk. We were sleepy. And I was sleeping, and Stephen hadn't slept much either. And he was swerving all over, and the policeman said, I've chased you for two miles trying to get you to pull over. And we were both sound asleep in the car. How many know we needed a wake-up call? Huh. How many, like me, thank God for His amazing mercies and grace, right? Um, you know something, though? As soon as I got comfortable, that's when I fell asleep. You know, I've never, I don't know why. I can fall asleep easy. Anybody else like that? I fall asleep easy. Sunday afternoons, I'm done preaching. I go home, watch the Seahawks lose. I mean, watch the Seahawks game. And it's just like, ah. Uh, you know, anybody else? Come on, dads, help me out, right? That's like a little bit of heaven right there. You know what I'm saying, right? And, and I can fall asleep really easy. But you know what is interesting? I've never fallen asleep while I'm mowing the grass. I've never, I've been preaching 35 years, I've never fallen asleep preaching. I mean, could you just imagine, and another thing, <laughs> right? Because I never fall asleep, watch this, until I get comfortable. And everything God wants to do in our life, I believe, is right on the other side of our comfort zone. And it's time to wake up. Sardis was overtaken because they got comfortable in their security and they lost their power. So number one is wake up. Number two, he says, get strong. You know, we have all kind of magazines that tell us how to get bigger biceps and bigger triceps. And we have all kind of books that tell us how to become more powerful and how to make more money. And we'll often in our culture, those are the things that we use to measure how strong we are. Um, but I want to know, and, and, there's book, and there's awards for that stuff. There's awards for the... You know, the most tackles on a football team, the, the greatest rebounders and all of that. There's awards for all that. But I wish there was awards for some other kind of strong things. 
I wish there was awards for single mamas who are bringing their kids to church every weekend and doing devotions and praying with them and teaching them about Jesus in a world that doesn't want anything to do. I wish there was an award for that kind of strength. I wish there was an award for the men that are bringing their kids to church and praying with their kids and being a godly husband. I wish there was an award for that. We, we, we're trying to be mighty in every category of our life, but what about getting strong in our spiritual life? I know being strong financially is good. I know being strong physically is good. I know being strong emotionally is good. But somewhere we got to put some priority on being strong spiritually, everybody. Because if it's not just for you, there's another generation that needs to weigh on your strength. Come on. I asked this question before, and I don't mean it to be critical, but where are the spiritual mighty men? Where are the spiritual leaders of the church? I love the story of David's mighty men. I talked a little bit about it last week. But Benaiah, one of the guys that killed the giant last week, let me tell you something else about him. You can read about him in 2 Samuel. He chased a lion down into a cave on a snowy day. That's a bad dude right there. I'm running from a lion. Anybody with me? He doesn't just chase the lion. He chases the lion downward into the cave on a snowy day. And all we're begging for is just some people that'll stand. Where are the spiritual giants? Where are the giant killers? Where are the keepers of the flame? Jesus says to the church, get strong. Get strong. Well, we come on, you physically get strong by exercising, going to the gym. You spiritually get strong with some similar disciplines. Right, everybody? Okay, I'm going to move off that one, all right? Um, Let's do this one. Number three, the third thing he says is, I want you to remember. I, I want you to remember where you came from. Come on, now, I asked this question a little bit earlier. Have you ever seen that picture of Valerie posted on Facebook that comes up every couple of years? She looks like a hoodlum before she got saved. Anybody seen that picture? Well, I need to have it in here. In gangs, messed up life, just your smile alone. Just remember. I love that you put the picture because it makes you remember where you came from. I keep pictures. I look back a lot. I have pictures of me as a little boy, certain neighborhoods I live. I look back a lot because I need to remember a lot. About the time I start complaining about life, are you kidding me? Are, really? Oh, it's hot. Really? I'm alive. God's blessed me. I'm breathing. I'm going to go to a house with a roof over it tonight. I'm probably going to eat again even though I don't need to before I go to bed tonight. And I'm probably going to lie in a bed. And I'm going to get up tomorrow and put on a different pair of shoes and a different pair of jeans and a different t-shirt after I've taken a shower in my house. Remember where you've come from. How many remember who you might have been if Jesus hadn't come into your life, right? Remember where you came from. Remember your life without Jesus. How about this? Remember how you used to worship when you first got saved? Come on, anybody remember when you first got saved? You were a lunatic. You wouldn't shut up about Jesus. You invited everybody to church. You were saying, wow, look at this new song. I didn't know there was music like this. What is this thing? The Bible? This is amazing. Church, we get to go? Remember your first works. Remember how you used to invite people to church? Remember how you couldn't stop talking about what Jesus was doing in your life? Paul tells us to do this in the book of 1 Corinthians. Watch this. He says this. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of something. You know, every once in a while, I just need to be reminded. 
I, I just need to be reminded. I, I need to be reminded that I don't take His grace for granted. I need to be reminded where I could be if He hadn't intervened in my life. I need to be reminded. I, I know. Come on, I can go down that path really. Can anybody else go down that path and rem- think, of, ooh, I know who I, ooh. I never watch the news and say, how could they have done that? Because I know, but by the grace of God, I'd be the guy on the news and people would be saying, how could he have done that? Right? What, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, can I just remind you for a minute of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you have taken your stand. The gospel. The grace of Jesus. The gospel. I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. But I got the gospel. Somebody told me about Jesus. Come on, everybody. Right? And if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. If you are not constantly reminded of the great work that Jesus did for you. That verse goes on and on. You can read the rest of it. There's seven verses there, but I'm going to go on. Uh, you, You know what that verse tells me? To remember the price that Jesus paid. To remember I'm the only one in my whole family tree that ever came to know Christ. I got brothers and sisters and all kind of relatives. They didn't know Jesus. They didn't get to grow up in church. But somehow a bus passed by my house and invited me to church and brought me to church. And I heard the gospel. And somehow my life today is different because of that. It doesn't take me a lot to remember how grateful I am that God intervened in my life. Come on, everybody. Woo! And that's what helps me want to do right. See, I think too often we treat our own sin with hospitality rather than hostility. Oh, it's okay. It's a nice little sin. No, treat it with hostility. Get out! Number four. The fourth thing he tells us in that is hold fast. Before my mom and dad divorced, I, I'm not sure exactly what age. I tell the story, and sometimes I say I was this age, and sometimes, and, and the older I get, the more pieces of the puzzle I get and put together. But I remember um, before they divorced, I was just a little guy, probably not even old enough to be able to ride my own bicycle. And my dad would stick me on the back of his Harley. Now, in those days, they weren't nice cushioned Harleys with computers in them. They were rigid frame death traps is what they were. And he'd put me on the back of that Harley, and he'd go flying around curves and up hills here in Washington and up mountain, you know, just all over the place, just blasting down the highway, trying to look cool. But when he had put me on that motorcycle, I, l- let me tell you, I'd like to say I was cool and I was brave. I was scared. Maybe that's why I got saved so early. I was scared to death, everybody. And my dad would say, now you get on, son, and you hold on tight to me. He said, everything will be all right. I'd I'd get scared because, man, he wasn't playing around. It's like he was going. And if I was there when he got there, good for you. If you weren't, too bad, so sad, sucks to be you, you know. And I remember he'd just say, hold on. Boy, hold on. If you hold on to your dad, everything will be all right. I just want to see some holding on in the church again. I want to see people not give up so easy. I want to see people have some tenacity in their faith. I want to see some people when a pandemic hits, they don't run for the hills. I want to see some people that when every devil in hell comes against them, they make a stand and say, this day we fight. You will not have my marriage. You will not have my family. You will not have my kids. You will not instill fear in me. You will not bring me back. I want to see some tenacity in the body of Christ. Just hold on. The ride might get crazy. 
but just hold on. Has anybody ever had to just hold on? It's like, I don't know what else to do. I can't operate this thing. I'm five. Just hold on. I don't know where we're going. Just hold on. Sometimes we're going uphill. Sometimes we're going down. Just hold on. Sometimes we're going, sparks are flying in the curve. Just hold on. If you hold on to your father, if you hold on, Paul said, to what you've been taught, if you hold on to this gospel, everything will be all right. Those are the four things. Let me, let, let me wrap this up. So then, after he says, these are the four things I want you to do, then he closes with telling us the consequences or the promises, depending on what you do. And we're all done. Um, now, friends, before I tell you, before I give you this, I just want to say, I don't want you and I don't want me, I don't want radius. I don't want to become a comfort-seeking, entertainment-addicted, Security craving a sleep Christian. And I hope you don't either. And here's how he wraps it up. In verse number three. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people. You have a few people. You have a... Anybody been in church long enough? You've heard the word remnant. There's a remnant. There's a few people. Because not everybody that says, Lord, Lord... Not everybody that shows up to church. Come on now. Right? There's, there, there's a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me. Watch these words. We're going to close with the yellow words. They will walk with me, if you course correct, dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, uh, will like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot your name of that person from the book of life but will acknowledge that name before my Father and His angels. Let me give you these real quick. Here's His promise to us. He says, there's a few of you. There, there's a few in the season where the church looks alive but is dead, but there's a few of you that are alive. And, and He tells the rest of them, and if you repent, He says, here's the promises you get. You'll be dressed in white. Now, Jesus is purposely using language from the Roman culture right here. Because So number one is dressed in white. Because in Roman culture, uh, there's a day called the Day of Triumph. And any people that won in like the Olympics or different, uh, they might have won some other like court battles or uh, settlement or any of those kind of things, there was a day of triumph. And the people that had won, the people that had become champions, they, they got to wear a white toga. And so that way when they would walk around their community and they'd walk around their town, their village, their, their, their peers, they were known, they could be recognized and they could be honored. Jesus says, if you'll do this, you'll be dressed in white. You'll be honored in the streets of heaven because you overcame. Oh, man. And then number two, he says, your name will be in the book. Again, he's using Roman English. In Rome times, each citizen that was a law-abiding, their name was written in a book of census. They didn't have computers. And so there's this giant book, no kidding, with every person that lived in that particular city, their name is in the book. And if you obeyed the laws, your name was in the book. But if you were unlawful, their name was blotted out. If your name was in the book, you got all the benefits of being a citizen. But if your name was blotted out, you got none of the benefits. I want the benefits of heaven. Amen, everybody? And then he says, uh, and, and, then he say, uh, um, and then he says, yeah, in the next verse, he says, acknowledgement before the Father. See, good citizens of Rome, their name would be called out. Their names would be called out in the presence of the emperor. Ooh, could you imagine what it's going to be like when God calls your name out?
Bum, ba, ba, bum. No kidding. I was, I was in uh, Arizona not long ago and getting ready to preach to their staff, and there was one of the team that was on satellite, and before it was my turn to go, he was given a report about the Colorado City Church uh, some of you went to. And, th- and they got a pastor there now. There's a church now there. And it uh, wasn't when we went, but there's an actual church there and a pastor there. And, and, he, and, and he, real quick, he said, and I heard that Pastor Ken is in the, cr- in the audience today, and I wanted to give a shout-out to Pastor Ken and his amazing church, Radius Church, for the work they came and did. And, and I got to just tell you, that kind of felt cool. That's my church right there. Radius, uh-huh. What, what, what? But imagine what it's going to be like when you step into heaven and God says, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. Imagine that all the things that could have caused us to stumble, but he says they were faithful to the end. Come on, everybody, right? And then he closes with this. He says, whoever has an ear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Any movie buffs in the room at all? Any, anybody? Uh, anybody seen the movie Saving Private Ryan? It's, it's just so good. It, it's just so good. Saving Private Ryan. The whole movie is about uh, a regiment going out and saving Private Ryan. His two brothers have been killed on the battlefield, and he's the third of two brothers. And so there was a law that said we got to get him out and send him home to his mom. And so the, the character played by Tom Hanks, they find Private Ryan and this big battle. And Tom Hanks is wounded. I think he's shot. He's sitting on the bridge. He's about to die. I think he's going to detonate a gr- grenade and all the enemy is going to be destroyed and Private Ryan's going to get to go home. And the movie opens with Private Ryan at his graveside. And it ends with the same thing. It, the opening and closing scene are the, some of the most moving scenes in all of movie history. It's powerful. And right before Tom Hanks dies, he says to Private Ryan, he says, earn it. He says, earn it. And I know that that might not fit with our culture because we don't earn salvation. Um, but in other words, what he's saying is make the sacrifice that I'm giving. Make, make my life worth it. I'm sacrificing my life, Private Ryan, so that you can be saved. Earn it. Make my sacrifice worth it. Wow. And at the very end, Private Ryan is at his tomb, and he says, he says to his wife, was I a good man? Did I live a good life? Was it worth it? You see, one day I'm going to come face to face with Jesus, and I want to say, I want him to be able to say, your life was worth my sacrifice. That's what I want him to say. I don't want, I, he's not going to say, hey, you drove a cool car. I want him to say, my life that I sacrificed, you made it worth it. Come on, everybody. It's time for the church to wake up. I close with this. I promise this is the last closing. Sometimes I have five or six, but today you're only going to have three. I had preached in Phoenix, and I was with my hero, Pastor Tommy, and his son, Luke, who's just... I, I admire also. And they had asked me to come and preach on revival. And so I preached on revival, and a bunch of us went out to dinner afterwards. And Tommy's been preaching for 67 years. His voice is old and cracked. It 
It sounds like he's been swallowing gravel half of his life. He started talking to me, and he talks kind of like this. He said, you know, you preached on revival tonight. He said, but I don't think America's churches really understand what revival really is. He said, Ken, what I really think America needs is an awakening. You know, I hate when my pastor one-ups me. You know what I'm saying, right? But we need an awakening. And I'm just going to be very transparent with you. I need an awakening too. Because it's easy to let the cares of this world to just gently lull us into comfort. And forget making the main thing the main thing. And we look alive. We're here tonight. But I don't ever want him to say, I'm dead. I want his sacrifice to be worth it. We need an awakening. Would you agree with me, everybody? Would you help me pray for an awakening in our church and in our community? Would you help me pray that? Would you stand with me all over this place?